If you have your Bibles, take them and turn to Genesis chapter 2. If you're visiting with us or you haven't been here for a while, uh, we have been looking at uh, the beginnings of the Bible, the beginnings of everything, starting uh, at Genesis 1-1 and working our way through, uh, Lord willing, to Genesis uh, chapter 11. And uh, today we are at the end of creation on the final um, bit of revelation that God has given us, the seventh day, uh, the day of rest. It's fascinating to me as I was reflecting on this is that this seventh day is the first full day of humankind on earth. It wasn't day two, it wasn't day uh, six, it wasn't day one. The first full day of man on earth was day seven a day in which God had given to them as a day of rest and reflection, a gift from him to them, a day that he had blessed and made holy. That was man's first full day on earth. It's rather extraordinary. Trying to understand the seventh day, uh, I found it helpful for me to, rather than start in Genesis chapter two, rather to start in Mark chapter two and work my way back. And so we're going to do that. We're going to start in Mark chapter 2. I'll read a a verse from Mark chapter 2, and then we'll just work our way back through Scripture all the way back to Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Mark chapter 2 is uh, a time when Jesus is talking with some of the Pharisees, and they were on his case because his disciples had stripped some of the grains of wheat off of the wheat that was growing and hadn't eaten it. And they were choked about that. How dare they work on the Sabbath? And Jesus' response to them was simply this, that man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. Man was not made for the day of rest. The day of rest was made for man. And so it's with that in mind that we then work our way back to try and understand what it is that God is saying in Genesis chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. If you have Bibles open, uh, let's read them together and uh, ask God to help us. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation." Father, we turn now to your word as we have sung, as we have seen, as we have heard. Uh, Would you help us now to um, understand your word so that we might live it and apply it in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a couple things about Genesis uh, 2, 1 to 3 before we work our way back. Uh, You probably would have noticed as we read verse 1 that it seems to be somewhat of a conclusion to Genesis 1-1. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 2-1, thus the heavens and the earth were finished. He finished what he started. He began in Genesis 1-1 and he finished it in Genesis 2 verse 1. So we could say that Genesis 2 verse 1 is actually Genesis 1 verse 32. Um, We know that the system of numbering is not divine or inspired. It is humanly done, added in about the 16th century. Uh, The second thing I think is helpful to notice is that day six is not the culmination of the creation account. Day seven is. And it's really important that we wrap our heads around that and understand that and bring that down into our hearts and minds. Uh, 
Day seven is the high point of creation. Not that there was anything created on day seven, but it is the high point, the conclusion of God's description to us of the world that he made and the world that he set man and woman in. And it's made clear by three times it's emphasized the seventh day. You see that in verse three. Or, uh, in verse three. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on, or no, sorry, go back one. And on the seventh day, verse two, God finished the work that he had done and rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. There is an emphasis that God wants us to see and understand as we uh, think about it and focus on that. Uh, there's a structure, too, to the whole book of Genesis, which we'll talk about next week, which begins in verse 4, which is uh, uh, used 11 times this phrase, these are the generations of. And so verse 4 of chapter 2 really is a marker for the next part of Genesis. So we should take Genesis 1-1 to Genesis 2-3 as a unit. And that's what we're realizing, that this is the completion of the explanation of how this world came to be. There is no creational formula for the seventh day. For all the first days, we have, and God said, and there was. Why is that? Well, one of the reasons why is nothing was created on the seventh day. And so there was no reason for God to say, and this. Uh, I think you also notice that there is no reference to the phrase, there was morning and there was evening. All of the first six days have been boundaried and defined by there was morning and there was evening the first day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day. We don't find that for the seventh day. Another thing to notice about this seventh day was that it is the only day of all the days that are described which God blesses and declares to be holy. So it's a unique day. It's a set-apart day. It's a different day from the first six days of creation. So what is it about this day? Why do we know anything about this day? How are we supposed to uh, live in light of these first verses of the Bible that God has given us? Well, as I said, the first place to begin, I think, to understanding the seventh day is, has Jesus explained it to us? Jesus was there. He made the seventh day. And as he's discussing with the Pharisees, he says to them, the Sabbath was not made for man, but man was made for the Sabbath. Man was made for the day of rest. This seventh day is a gift from God to us. And it's really important that we understand that as we read Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. The seventh day, the day of rest, was made for you and I. It was a gift from God to you and I. We are not meant to stop at day six. We are meant to stop at day seven. Wrestle that through on your own this week. Secondly, why 1,500 years between the establishment of day seven and our understanding of that day? By that I mean, there had been some 1,500 or more years between the creation of the world and when we get a record of that creation. That record was given to Moses. Moses was spoken to by God and he wrote down the actual um, words that we have in Genesis 1 and, and the first five books of the Bible. It was through Moses that God revealed to humankind why he made the world, how he made the world, and an explanation of that seventh day. So in this explanation, we are told who made the world, God. We are told how he made the world by his word. 
And we are told why he made the world. And we've looked at this for you and I. This world was made for a habitation for you and I to live. A place for us to flourish, a place for us to grow, a place in which we were the center of all that God had created and made. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but if we had never received the first five books of the Bible, never had a record of how the world began, how would you think it began? How would it shape the way that you looked at the world around you, the way that you looked at yourself in the world, the way that you placed yourself in the world? Were it not for God's word, which we have here, how would you explain the world in which we live? It's really hard for us to do, particularly if we've grown up in the church. If you're here today and you've never heard of the biblical account of how the world came to be, then you might have some way of understanding this. But it's important that we work this through and think this out. Genesis 1 to 11 are a gift of God to us to understand why the world is as it is and what our place is in the world. And not just the place of Christians, but the place of all humankind. It's amazing to just think that through. I, I was working this through. There was no account of the creation of the world from God until God gave it to Moses. So what happened for the first number of years between creation and the time of Moses? Was God silent? Did, did, did people just fumble around? Like, like did, did Adam and Eve and Noah and Cain and Abel and all these others just kind of look at the world and think, well, this is kind of a strange thing, the place that we live. And, you know, our, our grandpa and our great-grandma told us a few stories about it, but they had no explanation of it. Well, was God silent? Well, no, he wasn't silent. We find that God spoke to Adam and Eve. We find that God spoke to Cain and Abel. We find that God, that the people on the earth at a certain time began to call upon the Lord again. We find that Enoch walked with God and that he walked with God in such an intimate way that God just snatched him out of the earth and took him to heaven. We find that God spoke to Moses. We find that God spoke to Abraham. We found that God spoke to kings in dreams. He spoke to Pharaoh about a, a, a seven years of plenty and seven years of famine that was coming. So God spoke in individual specific ways, but God had not revealed himself to the Israelites, certainly in a way that is, this is the word of the Lord, a recorded revelation of God to them until he spoke to Moses and Moses wrote it down. Paul, a thousand years later or more, was writing to the Romans, Roman Christians, and he was writing to them about the uniqueness and the privilege of being a Jew. One of the privileges and one of the very first things he says to them is you have the very words of God. What an incredible gift. I don't know if we, if we actually work that through. We have the very words of God. God's explanation, God's description God telling us of this world and how it came to be in our place in this world. In these words, written some 1,500 years after the creation of the world, we learn about creation. We learn about the God who made it. We learn about what he created. We learn about how he created, and we learn about why he created. In Genesis, we have a God-given cosmology. It's extraordinary. But it came 1,500 years after 
God created this world. But also in these words, we finally have an explanation of the seven days. And the seventh day in particular, and what a gift of grace it is. What a word of clarification it is. Before this revelation of God through Moses, what was the understanding of days? Was there days? Did they mark their calendar in days? Did they mark their calendar by seven days? I don't know if they did. In fact, I don't think they did. They had the sun and the moon to, to, to help them distinguish a day and to distinguish a month and to distinguish a year. But did they understand the pattern of seven days? I don't think they did. And you get a hint of this when you come to the captivity of the Israelites in Egypt, and they were just driven by work. In fact, they were breaking under the harshness of the taskmasters of the Egyptians over them. You don't, there's no record or sense that they even understood the pattern of six days of work and one day of rest. So for the first 1,500 years of creation, we don't get a sense that there was a focus or an understanding of days. And so it is into this chaos of, of the world into the demeaning and enslaving cosmologies that were part of the record of the world, into this slavish work that just was a bondage to the people that God gave clarification through Moses of why he made the world or how he made the world and why he gave us the gift of the seventh day. You gotta work this through. Where do seven days come from? We take it for granted, don't we? It's just all we've ever known. The observance of a day of rest was unique to ancient Israel. As I mentioned, with most ancient calendars, you find their days and months and years were related to solar and lunar calendars. Not so with the Sabbath and with the seven days. It's not related to the sun or the moon or any revolution of the earth. It's, it's something altogether different. It's a unique revelation of God to us, which has become the pattern for humankind, basically wherever we live in the world in which we live. And doesn't this suggest to us that maybe God is the one that gave us the structure of seven days and we ought not to look to the moon and the stars and the sun to find the pattern of the world, but we look to God who is outside of time? Well, the Names of the days of our week may be pagan, and they are. The origin of those days is divine. The pattern of the week in which we live is a gift of God to us. And it's from these texts, from this word that we learn why God created the world in which he did, why he established the pattern that he did. Again, a critical point and why this matters is so much of our world is stuck on day six. We work our fingers to the bone. We're consumed by work. We're consumed with our world. We're consumed with our place in the world. We're consumed with establishing our place in the world. We're consumed with the, the material realities of the world that we're in. We're, we're exhausted. We're tired. But the world is our focus. Well, Genesis wants to move us. Genesis chapter 2 wants to move us from that to the reality of the gift that God has given us of a day of rest. I don't have time this morning 
to go through um, the Sabbath laws that are given in the Old Testament. It's, it's really instructive to do so because everything about Adam's life before he sinned was precisely what the Sabbath laws pictured. Do you understand what I'm saying? That, that, that there was a certain world that God created that Adam was in and he sinned and he lost that. And so God established Sabbath laws to help us understand what life was like in the garden before there was sin and to help us get a glimpse of what life will be like when he creates a new heaven and a new earth. It's in a sense that Israel's Sabbath observances were designed to show in a microcosm what life in Eden was designed to be. And they give us a view as to what life will be like in the new heavens and the new earth. What we find is the ceremonial restrictions around the Sabbath laws in the Old Testament have been done away in the new covenant, but not the pattern that God established. Let me quickly point out a few texts for us. God reveals this pattern 1,500 or more so years later. Genesis chapter 20, verses 8 to 11. You can write this down and, and look them up on your own later. Remember the Sabbath day. Remember the day of rest. That's remember the, first, the, the last day that God describes for us in Genesis chapter 2. Remember that day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath or a rest to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is in your gates. Why? For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore God blessed that seventh day and made it holy. Do you understand? God is saying, I, I created the world with a specific pattern in mind, and that pattern is to structure your life. It's this pattern that's laid out to us by God to protect us from just being consumed with this worldliness and being consumed with work in this world. The seventh day was given to us to arrest this tendency that we have to look only at ourselves, to work only for ourselves, and rather than to do that, to look to God who has provided us with everything that we need. And to rest in his finished creation. And to be refreshed and to glory and wonder and be in awe of our Father's world. And I suspect it's as the Israelites began to keep this rhythm that it began to leak out into the world to almost now today, almost every corner of our world follows the pattern of seven days, even unknowingly. And when you try and mess with that pattern, as Russia did back in 1932 for about 18 years, they went to a five-day week and it just about destroyed their culture. And in the French Revolution, where they tried to go to a 10-day week, and it kind of destroyed them, we find out that no, the pattern that God has given us is for our good. So God has created the world in such a way to reveal a pattern to us of how we ought to live our lives. The second thing that we find that God tells the people of Israel in Exodus chapter 31, verses 16 to 17, he says, therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath 
observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel. A sign of what? What was the sign? Why did he tell Israel to follow this pattern? It was a sign that in six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth on the seventh day he rested. I, I was struck by that. Do you, do you understand what God is saying there? He's saying that following God's pattern for life reveals your cosmology. Does that make sense? God specifically tells us he created the world in six days and rested on the seventh day. And he tells us to pattern our lives after that as a sign that that's how we believed God made the earth. And therefore, when you rest on the seventh day, when you give your workers a time of rest on the seventh day, when, when you obey or when you follow the pattern of God and somebody asks, well, why isn't your shop open on uh, one, one in seven days your shop is closed? Why do you give your employees one in seven days off? Well, it's because I believe that God created the world in six days and he told me to rest on the seventh day and it's a day of rest and refreshment. Do, do, do you get that? Worked that through. It was a sign of a belief and a conviction that they had that what God revealed in Genesis 1 was true and it should shape their world. It's a memory aid. It's a memory aid. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 14 to 15. On the seventh day, it's the Sabbath or a rest to the Lord your God. On it, you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourners within your gates or the male servant or your field servant may rest as well. Notice the emphasis on rest, rest, rest. You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. You shall remember that you were enslaved by work. You were overwhelmed by work. You were crushed by work. But God sucked you out of that world. God delivered you out of that world. God gave you a pattern so that you would realize that God's intention for you was not to end on the sixth day, but it was enter, it, to enter into a seventh day where you rested in the finished work of God and the provision of God for you. Isaiah 58, 13, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call it a delight and a holy day of the Lord honorable, in other words, if you begin to delight in God's pattern, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, this, this is, then I will take delight, or then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. What a, what a beautiful picture. God will just explode in your heart and in your mind a sense of wonder and awe of your God and the world that he made in your place in the world. Loved ones, the culmination of creation, as I've said, is not the sixth day. The culmination of creation is the seventh day a day given to us by God. The Sabbath was made for man. It is a gift of God 
to you, blessed and made holy. It would, it's a day that will remind us of the spiritual rest that was accomplished for us in Christ when he died. And as his last words were on the cross, it is finished. Our work of redemption is complete. We can rest in that. When we put our trust in Christ, we can rest that the work of our salvation is done, finished, completo. And it's pointing to a day in the new heavens and a new earth when we will enjoy the rest that God had intended for us in the first place, but was lost because of sin, and we will enjoy it forever into eternity. So the text then, that brings us back all the way, I think then to Genesis chapter two. God finished. That's a wonderful phrase to just work around in your head. It's mentioned twice. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Verse two, and on the seventh day, God finished. And then twice it says, and God rested from all his work. There's nothing left undone. Creation is not ongoing. God finished the work of creation at the end of day six, as the scripture tells us that he did. There's nothing left undone. There's nothing more for God to do. There's nothing incomplete. God, it says that God saw that everything that he had made and behold, it was very good. There was evening and morning and then there was a sixth day. And that was followed then by this phrase, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. That's a small but massive point. Just from the side of creation. Creation is not ongoing. The work of creation is done, complete, finished. God completed it. God set out to make this world and he made it. God has the power to do so. God has the power to bring things to completion. He's not just still fumbling around trying to figure out, well, is it done? Well, I need to tweak this. I need to tweak that. No, the good work of God in creation is complete. It's done. Past tense. When the writers of the Bible refer to creation, it's not he is making and he will continue to make. He made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. He formed them. He created them. All past tense. We are meant to marvel at the power and the might of God. But think this through when it comes to your salvation. God will finish what he started. I find constant hope in Philippians 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you, oh, if he doesn't get tired, if he doesn't run out of time, if he doesn't run out of ideas, no, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it to completion. 
Loved ones, that creation account ought to be assurance to you that if you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, that he will finish what he started. He will complete what he begun. That is something to hang on to. I think secondly, though, the promises of God. Can you trust the promises of God? Based on what? Just, just wishful thinking? The power of your, your faith? Well, I think, I, I, I think he can. I think he can. Or is it rooted in the creational conviction that God finished the work of creation, therefore God is able to bring about what he promises? Can you trust God and his promises based on what? Well, in part, based on the finished work of creation. Can you have confidence that God will complete what he has started based on what? The fact that he finished and completed creation. Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, 1 to 3, reminds us that it is a characteristic of God to finish what he starts. Hold on to that if you are a Christian. The second thing it tells us is God rested. A number of times it says that God rested. I hope you understand this isn't telling us that God was exhausted after six days. God kind of needed to go and have a nap the Bible tells us clearly, God does not grow weary. God does not need to rest because his strength is drained. He does not sleep or slumber. To rest means that God abstained from working, that God ceased from working, that God stopped working. And I think sometimes we need to be reminded that, some of us, we enjoy our work. We love our work. It doesn't necessarily tire us. We just, we just like to work. And so we work, 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 and work. We need to learn from this. No, you need to rest. You need to cease. You need to stop. Just as God ceased and stopped working, and he's given us a pattern to follow, we need to recognize, even if we don't feel tired, that we need to stop and rest from our work. The emphasis, though, is on the finished work of God in creation. Jesus, in, I think it's John 5, 17, says, my father continues to work. And you say, what the world? I, I thought Genesis 2 said God rested. He stopped. He ceased working. And now you're saying Jesus says, well, he continues to work. What's going on? I think it, it's explained this way. Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, is telling us that God rested from the work of creation. It was finished. It was completed. He is no longer creating. But the work of guiding and governing, the work of providence is a, God, a work that God is still intimately involved in in our world. Guiding it, sustaining it, directing it, upholding the word or the world in which we live. God continues to work. The work of redemption is completed in Christ, but the work of the application of that redemption continues to the day when the very last person that God will save is saved, and then the application of the work of redemption is complete as well. So God rested. 
rested. He, again and again, God rested. God rested. And then the third thing. It said God blessed the day and made it holy. Why did God bless the day? It doesn't say that about any other day. It doesn't mean the other days weren't good because at the end of the days he saw all that he'd made and it was good. But it said God blessed the seventh day. I think that what that is saying in part is God structured the day in such a way to allow you and I to flourish. He structured the day, he set up the day in such a way that it would give us health, it would give us wholeness, it would give us completeness, it would give us healing, it would give us perspective. He looked on the day in such a day that, that, that when he blessed it, he says, and he blessed it so that we would prosper from it, we would benefit from it emotionally, physically, spiritually. He ensured that it would be a spiritually fruitful, helpful day to us. So many things that I read over the last two weeks I was thinking about this suggested, is there part of the explanation for why we're so exhausted? Is there part of an explanation of why we're so anxious and why we're so full of worry? Is part of the explanation of our, of our, of our discombobulation from the fact that we haven't realized the pattern that God has given us to rest and recalibrate and to look beyond ourselves to a God who has made this world in which we live and to rest in his provision and to receive the blessing of a day that he has given us. And he made it holy. To make it holy, this is the first time God, has, God declares anything to be holy. It's the first year use of the word holy in the scriptures. It means to, to set apart from others. It means to differentiate from something else. It means to elevate something above the rest. This seventh day was given a unique place. It was differentiated from the other six days that God worked on. He made it holy. How? By not working on it, by abstaining from his work. This is why it is different. This is how he declared it to be holy. It's a different day, a unique day, given for the benefit of men and women that God has made in his image. Remember that. We're made in the image of God. God displays for us his pattern. God. His pattern was to work six days and take a seventh day to rest. It doesn't mean that God could have just spoken in an instant and the whole world was created. He could have done that. Rather, he created the world in such a way to give us a pattern for our life, to function to the fullness of what God has designed us to function in. God has given male and female the crown of his entire work of creation, a day, a day blessed by him, a day made holy by him, a gift. Do you look at one day as a gift from God? I don't, I don't think it matters whether you start on Monday and end on Sunday. The issue is not what day you start on and what day you end on. The issue is the pattern. The pattern might be different in all of your lives. You might determine, well, I want to start my first day on, on, the, on Wednesday and complete it on Tuesday. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It just says this is a pattern that God has given to you to follow for your good. And as I say, could it be that we are so weary and exhausted because we haven't figured out that the Sabbath was made for man? 
that it was a gift of God to us. That we've landed too often on living on just the sixth day. We never make it to the seventh day in the pattern of our lives. Loved ones, to ignore the basic rhythm which is built into our universe and into the human soul and body is, in, is to enter into a world of disorientation and to fall short of how God has created you and I to function best. Come to me, all who are, all who are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That can apply to spiritual rest, as it does, rest in what Christ has done for us and the finished work of Christ on our behalf. But could it not also be, and I will give you rest because I will teach you about the pattern that I have laid out for you in which you might find rest. Call to mind that God has made a day just for you. It's astounding. God has made a day just for you. Not to do whatever you want, but to rest and to be refreshed as you contemplate the power and the awe and the might and the wonder of God, as you contemplate the world in which God has placed you, the position that God has given you in this world. A day for all your physical, relational, emotional, and spiritual needs to be met. This day was given to be a blessing to male and female, to keep them healthy, to make them helpful, to bring joy and happiness to them, a unique day in which he might meditate on the works of his creator and delight himself in the Lord. Loves us, I'm not laying for you any law or legalistic practice to follow. I'm just saying, here's the pattern. Receive it as a gift from God. Figure out the adjustments that you can make in your life to bring your life and the life of your family and the life of your employers into this pattern of rest which God has given and blessed and made holy for your benefit. Father, we thank you for your word. It's amazing the things that are found in these first days of the world before sin ever entered into it. Father, we have a, such a hard time making our way back to the garden. We have such a hard time making our way back to an understanding of the world in which you made us to live before sin ever entered into it. We have such a hard time looking ahead to the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no more sin and we will live. We're in this in-between time caught but I pray that your word will instruct us. I pray that it will guide us. I thank you, Father, that the way that we live our lives can be a declaration of our belief in the way this world came to be. Oh, Father, help us as we work through these words. And for any that are searching, Lord, this could be a bizarre thing for them to have heard this morning. And yet, all mankind needs to know of your gracious provision for us. Not only of our spiritual needs, which you have fully supplied in Christ Jesus, but also of our physical and 
and emotional needs as well. You are a God who cares about all aspects of us. Thank you for reminding of us that in your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.